Welcome to LifeBridge Online. Whenever it is you are watching this, we are grateful that once again you are allowing us to be part of your life, that you are allowing us to minister to you in this online platform. I want you to know that we keep praying for all of our LifeBridge family who, uh, because of COVID and health concerns, is still unable to meet in person with us. We long for the day that we will once again be able to gather together under one roof and celebrate, worship God together. Just a quick update on our Restore His House campaign. I know we've been quiet with that the past few weeks, but the painters have been here uh, this past week as we are recording this, and they have been prepping the building. They've been pressure washing. They've been uh, taking the other steps needed to get ready to paint. And so Lord willing... Uh, next week, we will have paint on brick, and then we will proceed with the rest of our exterior renovations. More on that in the weeks to come, I'm sure. Let's pray, and then we will get into our sermon for the day. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity to pause, to sit, to listen. God, your word is powerful. Father, I pray that as we open it up, as we share a portion of the Christmas story, that God, your word will meet us, meet us where we are in life today. Lord, if we need to be taught, if we need to be encouraged, we just need comfort. Father, I pray that your word meets us where we are. All power comes from you and is through you, and you have the ability to change lives. So, Father, I pray and ask that as we listen to this, it's with that mindset. You can change lives. We ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. You know, back in October of 2010, I was able to take a trip that uh, really and truly, it's one of those things that you have to experience. I can try to describe it, but it's, uh, it's one of those things that it just has to be experienced. I didn't know I was even participating in this trip. Uh, it was on a mission trip. It was my first time going to Zimbabwe, and uh, we ended the trip by taking a few days and going over to Victoria Falls. And we've got to experience one of the seven natural wonders of the world. And so when we arrived into the town of Vic Falls, we did some of the tourist stuff. We went to some of the shops. We went to the market. All with uh, going to the, the, the peak of the trip being seeing the actual Victoria Falls waterfall. And what I remember as we cruised into town was the constant roar of falling water. And unbeknownst to me at the time, we were over a mile away and we could hear this, this roar, this, this constant noise in the background. The natives call Victoria Falls the smoke that thunders. Like, like, that, like that's what they refer to this as because there's this, this mist that is ever-present and it thunders because when you get close to it, it is just this 
thunderous sound. And so as we got our, there to the actual waterfall, I, I can't describe it. It's indescribable. It's, it, it's, it's amazing to see. You know, the time of year I went, uh, the Zambezi River was at full pull, which meant the waterfall itself was at, at full flow. Man, the power it is something that I've never witnessed anywhere else. The roar of the water crushing to the Zambezi Gorge below. The mist that, that gets you soaked half a mile away. The, the fact that you cannot even see the total width of the waterfall from one vantage point. You, you, you have to take it in in sections. And, and one section is just as stunning as the other section. It doesn't matter how far away you get from the main flow of the Zambezi River. It is incredible. Coming up on the screen right now is a couple of pics uh, and just like my words, these pictures do not do justice to the experience of being on the ground in the very presence of the smoke that thunders. And as a result of my experience, I wanted other people to experience it. So two years later, I took Amanda and Griffin back. Uh, their experience was a little bit different because of the season. It was still impressive, though. It was impactful. I, I desire to take Stella back one day to experience it as well. And this has been 10 years since I first set foot in Victoria Falls. And I still want to make sure that she gets to experience Victoria Falls and all that it is. This is the very idea of what we are talking about today. Being in awe of something that can really only be experienced and then wanting others to get the same experience. There were these young men and they were out in a the field. They had a simple job for the most part. They were to guard or protect sheep. And in my mind, as I play out the, the vision of this scene, I, I, I picture it being cold. Maybe there's a small fire lit because it's night. They needed the warmth. In my mind, they are huddled around one another. And then this happens. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Says that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven. Peace on earth to those 
with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What a night. What a night if you're one of those lowly angels. You are sitting there in the routine of protecting sheep at night. That's your routine. And out of nowhere, an angel appears with a message. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, the Messiah, has been born today in nearby Bethlehem. Hey, you're going to know who he is? Because in a barn, in a manger, is a baby. And he's going to be wrapped in strips of cloth. And as those words come out of the mouth of the angel, a vast host of others, the armies of heaven appear and they start singing glory to God in the highest of heavens. Peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You know, in this Christmas series that we are in, we're talking about spiritual discipline, something that we have talked about a lot this calendar year. And today we talk about the spiritual discipline of worship. In this story, there are two expressions of worship with a common response. So before we get into the, the dynamics of the story, let's wrap our mind around worship and what that really is. I heard Louis Giglio uh, give a definition of worship many years ago, and it's one of those definitions that the night I heard this teaching, it, it stuck with me. I, I've not even had to work at trying to remember it. It's one of those definitions that when, when I wrote it down, it became ingrained in who I am. Here's the definition. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is and what He has done, expressed in and by the things we say and the way we live. So worship in, within the church setting, it, it, it carries a lot of different meanings. Uh, several people think that worship is just the singing part of it. Um, Churches on Sunday mornings are considered worship services because the whole part of gathering is, is worship. 
Uh, a lot of people say that worship is limited to what we do corporately with one another. Uh, some people think that worship is what we do corporately and what we do is we're singing songs to uh, God in our car. Let's walk through this definition quickly. Worship is a, it's a response. It's done on a personal level. It's also done on a corporate level. It's a response for who God is and what He has done in your life. And that is so important. It's a response that happens when we recognize, when we acknowledge who God is to us and what He means to us and what He has done in your life. Worship is expressed in the things that we say. Now, think through that for a second. Worship is expressed in the things we say. It's expressed in the songs that we sing, whether you love the, the ancient hymns that were played on an organ only, or if it's the songs that we sing from, from popular to you know, modern Christian music. All of that is an expression of worship. How about the conversations that we have with coworkers? The things that we say are part of the worship experience. What about the conversation with friends? What about the conversation with family? Worship is also expressed by the way we live. The way we live, how we treat one another at the grocery store, how we treat one another in traffic. When we don't get our way, when our package comes crushed, when, when, when whatever it is, the way we live our life is an expression and part of worship. So as I mentioned a moment ago, in this story, there's two expressions of worship with a common response. And so I want to look at the story and I want to kind of walk through where we see this concept of worship taking place. So you start with the angel. The angel of heaven appears and appears with a message. Now this in, in itself, we have to assume that God told this angel, go to earth and deliver the message that would impact the shepherds for the rest of their life. God saying to this angel, and we're just assuming that God is the, the voice of command that said this is when and where you, the angel, are supposed to go. And the angel comes to a field outside of the town of Bethlehem and it talks to three, as we say in the song, lowly shepherds. The angel delivers the message and then, as part of the expression of worship, the host of heaven's armies joins in with this angel. And they begin to praise God. They are singing the words, glory to God in highest heaven. We see a response from angels in the form of singing 
and praising God. As you think through this, I want you to, I want you to try to imagine this scene. What do you believe this scene is like? Picture the field. Picture the, the sheep. The shepherds. And out of thin air comes this heavenly host, unlike anything you have ever experienced in your life. What do you imagine they're singing to be like? Do you think it was the quiet glory to God in the highest? Or do you think it was this resounding heavenly sound that was thunderous? Glory to God in the highest. What, what do you imagine they're singing to be like? Do you think some of them were singing while watching others sing? Do you think all of them were giving it everything that they had as this heavenly host sang the words, Glory to God in the highest. I don't know about you, but I, I picture this scene. Uh, it's rather scary. We've never experienced angels before. There's one with a message, and then suddenly there's this host of heaven's armies. They're, they're chanting. They're singing. I, I, I picture it to be like a, like a college football game, maybe your, your, your favorite team. And you've been there when the entire stadium is chanting the same thing over and over and over again. It, it, it's one of those experiences that even if you're not in the stadium, you can hear the, the crowd chanting the same thing over and over. That, that, that's what I picture. I, I picture this thunderous noise. And there's the shepherds. How does what you envision this multitude of angels praising God, how does it compare to how you praise God? You know, this particular part of worship, the, the singing, brings quite a bit of controversy and discussion within the church. You have some people within the church that believe singing about God is the end-all, be-all. They believe that it's the most important thing a believer can do. Music gives these people peace. It gives them encouragement. They think that there's a genuine sense of singing, that this is what brings them closer to God. There's a lot of emotion with singing. Then you have this other camp, and they're, they're very cerebral in nature. It's all about the knowledge. It's all about the information. Hey, I kind of just want to worship God in my mind. Reading scripture, reading commentaries about scripture, all of that is, is worship Bible studies. These are the things, the knowledge of God, these are the things that help bring me closer to him. There's certainly not as much emotional buy-in with those who are cerebral in nature. Then there's this third group of people, and they're, they're just kind of in the middle. 
They like singing to a point. They like Bible study to a point. They have moments up here where they're really into the singing and they have moments where, where they're not into the singing. And then they have moments up here where, man, you know, they're kind of, they're really into the study. They're really into the word. And then certainly there's moments where they're not. This discussion about worship and singing as the angels modeled for us isn't about which camp is the best or most beneficial to your relationship with God. I simply want to point out that the created beings closest in proximity to God, meaning these angels who came from heaven where the very throne of God is, these created beings who are closest in proximity to God on a daily basis, for as long as we know, they praise God with singing. The heavenly armies can't help but sing about the glory of God. Praise of God is an important expression. It's a, an important part of the dynamic of what worship is. And so we can't tell the Christmas story. We, we can't talk about the angels and worship without wrapping our, our minds around the importance of singing and praising God. The largest book in the Bible is nothing but recorded praises from, from David and about 10 Old Testament elders. The emphasis of the entire book is coming before God and acknowledging who He is and what He has done. That's what the entire book of Psalms, the largest book in the Bible, that's what it's about. It's about acknowledging who God is and acknowledging what He has done. And all the stories, the stories, the, the, the references from Abraham, the references from Adam, the references from Moses, the references from David, they're all about a, this acknowledgement of who you are, God, and what you are doing in my life. Look at the very last verse of this book of Psalms. Psalm 150, verse 6. It says, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everything, everything that breathes should sing praises to the Lord. There's two things I want to encourage you with when it comes to singing and praises to the Lord. Two quick things to talk about this aspect of worship. Here they are. The first is this. Singing praises to God is not about you. It's about God. It's about acknowledging who He is and what He has done. I told myself I'm not going to get on my soapbox about worship and worship music within the church. And so I'm just asking, please, 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 Surrender the arguments about your preference of style of songs that we sing. Understand that corporately, that when we come together with other like-minded believers, whether it's in Sunday mornings at, at our worship, our celebration services, or whether it's at your conference, or whether it's at camps, whatever the case may be, 
this this time on a routine basis is, is, is 15 to 20 minutes, one day a week, it is the closest thing to the gathering of the heavenly host singing in your life. When we come together, we are a reflection of this corporate body singing together. And during this time, so many of us, we simply tune out. I, I know I'm guilty of it. I know that personally I am guilty of, man, you know what, I really don't like this song, so I'm just going to sit over here. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to participate. This song's too slow for me, or this song is too fast for me. And here's the thing when it comes to singing and singing corporately, there is going to be a portion of our heavenly inheritance, of what we do in heaven, is going to be singing praises to God. And so we need to drop the arguments, realize that what we do together is not about my personal preference, but it is about acknowledging who God is. And if that's done by singing a hymn from the 1800s or if it's done by singing a song written in 2019, it's not about us. It is all about God. It's something that is going to be with us forever. Because here's the thing, when we get to heaven, we're going to realize who God really is. When we get there and we're complete, in becoming like Him, we're going to have the knowledge, a better understanding of who God is in all the things that He has done. And when that happens, we're not going to be able to contain ourselves. We're not going to be able but to sing praises to God. So when it comes to singing, that's the first thing. The second thing about singing praises to God is that all believers can and need to do it. That's right, all believers can and need to do it. You know, we have a lot of talent on our stage every single week when it comes to the musicians and singers. You know, we, we want talented people up here, and we need these gifted people to lead us in our singing. Now, church, I know I'm guilty of it on Sunday mornings. Standing and watching them sing is not the same thing as Everything that breathes praises the Lord. Look at Psalm 100. Psalm 100, let me read four verses. It says, Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Here's the thing about singing. One of the things that we say, I know I certainly joke about it. It says that we are to make a joyful noise. And we're all to make this joyful noise. And here's the truth for time's sake. Making a joyful noise, it's not about the sound that comes out of our mouth. It's not about that. I've had people tell me time and time again when they hear me sing, Michael, your, your voice is anything but joyful. Joyful, making a joyful noise has nothing to do with sound. It's about the attitude in which we 
participate. If we sing out during church or wherever, if we sing out of guilt or out of obligation, man, it's not the same thing as a genuine, heartfelt desire. You know, parents, you can understand this, can't you? You, you, you've had the moments when your kids are genuine in their thanksgiving of receiving something from you. And it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? I mean, we, we know our kids well enough to know that, man, we gave them a gift or something. And they're genuine. They're excited. Oh, this is it. Versus the times when it's, oh, hey, thank, yeah, yeah, thank you for that. That's that's great. That's just what I, I wanted. We can easily tell the difference in genuine praise and the praise that is out of, huh, I'm supposed to do it so that I mind my manners. So get over the fear of what you sound like. Come before the Lord singing with joy acknowledging that he made us and that we are his. So the singing and the praising God from the heavenly armies, that is one response to God in this story. The second response comes from the shepherds. Uh, you know, the angel and the friends show up with a message and a song about Jesus but then look at the response from the shepherds, starting in verse 15. It says, When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village, and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened, and what the angel had said to them about this child. And all who heard the shepherds, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. The news of Jesus, the Messiah, being present on earth in the nearby town of Bethlehem led these young men to leave their earthly responsibilities and to go see what it was all about. You know, verse 8 says that they were guarding their flocks, which means that they had to keep these flocks safe from any nocturnal predator, any big cat, any wolf, anything that would try to kill the bedded sheep. That's the nightly responsibility of shepherds. If that's your flock... If that's your flock of sheep and you've hired these guys, then it is of utmost importance that they do what they're supposed to do, that they meet and take care of the responsibilities. The shepherds who are so moved by the news of a Savior leave their earthly responsibilities to go see this thing that has happened. The, these are not guys that said, hey, you know what, when I get off work, we'll go check that out. They were so moved by the moment. They were so moved by, by what was taking place that they're like, 
uh, we'll leave the earthly responsibilities for a while and we will go check this thing out. And so not only did they go, but these uneducated men, they were the very first evangelist of Jesus we know about. They told everyone that they came in uh, contact with about the interaction. We're like, hey, we saw these angels. They appeared to us out in the field. They told us the message about Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, that he's over here in Bethlehem. And then they started singing these songs. And so we went to Bethlehem and we saw this Jesus. We saw the Messiah. And they told everyone that they came into contact. They told them about this. You know how it is when there is good news that you just can't keep to yourself. You know, maybe it's an engagement or a birth announcement or maybe it's a medical miracle. You just, you've got to tell someone. You, you, you feel all inside that you're going you're gonna to explode if you don't share with someone. We could relate to what the shepherds are feeling after going to see a baby wrapped in some cloth strips laying in a feed trough. They had to tell people about what was going on. And this is a response by the shepherds. That's what worship is. It's a response. And they expressed their worship by the words that they are saying about Jesus. They didn't keep quiet about it. The story tells us that they shared with other people about this thing that has happened, about Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus in our lives today. Jesus should move us to do the very thing. Our interaction with him in our daily life should lead us to telling others about him. It should prompt us. Like we should want to share with other people about the things that Jesus is doing. And so let me encourage you with some details about this, okay? Let me, let me try to add some comfort because I know when we start talking about Jesus with, with, with people that maybe we just we don't know, we, we, we're scared, we, you know, we're, we're hesitant to do so. Let me encourage you with a couple of details. First off, we are not expected to be theologians who can expound on the mysteries of God. That's not the expectation. These shepherds were not rabbinical you know, priests. They were not rabbis that, that, that had this vast knowledge and understanding of the Old Testament prophecies in the Old Testament law. They were shepherds. They were shepherds who couldn't make the cut and they had to go into the family business. That's who these guys were. Now, I will say this. Every one of us, we are taught that we should be able to defend why we believe what we believe. You need to be able to do that. You need to be able to articulate and share with other people why you believe the things that you believe about God and Jesus and who they are in your life. But then, as we encounter God, as we experience God, whether it be in our studies, whether it be in singing, whether it be seeing God in nature, wherever this happens, however this happens, we should walk away and we should tell others about Him. 
This is the very idea of the word fellowship in Acts 2.42. The Greek word here is koinonia. And what koinonia, what fellowship is, isn't about us getting together and sharing a casserole meal after church. The very word koinonia or fellowship in Acts 2.42 is sharing with others what God is doing with us. And so we need to be able to share with other people what God is doing. Would you be able to articulate today? When you leave here, when you listen to this, would you be able to articulate with someone where you are seeing God working in your life? I I remember the time that I was being held accountable by Virgil. Grant, who was coaching me as a pastor, and he asked this group of men, where do they see God working in their life? And truth be told, uh, I, I, I didn't really see him. And, and so instead of just kind of pulling something out of the air and making something up, I just I said, hey, I, I don't see God working. At which I thought by taking the high road of honesty and saying, hey, we're, I don't see God working in my life, that it would simply be, okay, thanks for being honest, Michael. Let's move on to the next person. But instead, it led to a 45-minute conversation about why not? How come you don't see God working in your life? The shepherds had a host of angels. I get that. Man, it was a life-changing experience. They got to go to the very stable, barn, cave, wherever. They got to see Joseph and they got to see Mary. They got to encounter the physical Jesus right there. And and you may be thinking that you don't have anything like that going on in your life. I promise you, church, that when you seek God first in your life, He is going to do things that you can't imagine. Don't diminish the power of the small things that God is doing on a regular basis. And I suspect as we make this a priority, as we start trying to figure out and process through and acknowledging God and the things that He's doing in our life, when we start to realize that apart from Him, we can do nothing, and we start sharing these things with others, when we start sharing what God is doing in our life with others, we're going to have the similar response as to the shepherds when they left the manger. Those who heard the news were astonished. You probably know people right now and who are hurting, who are broken. Just kind of maybe they're floundering in life. Maybe they're lonely. They can use some news that is astonishing. I told you earlier, that in this portion of the Christmas story, there are two expressions of worship. One of those expressions of worship is the angels singing praises to God. 
If you look at the backside, the end of the story, you'll also see that the shepherds also, corporately, as they went back to their fields, they were singing and praising God. That's one of the two expressions. The other expression of worship is that the shepherds went and they encountered Jesus. They, they went, they dropped what they were supposed to do, they dropped their earthly responsibilities, and, and they said these things are secondary to going and encountering Jesus. That's, that's the second expression of worship. But I told you that in these two expressions of worship, there is a common response. The common response is that both parties, the angels and the shepherds, they shared the good news of the Savior with others. That's the response. And so as we wrap this up, we wrap it up with this one question. In your worship, who will you tell this week as you worship the king. Till next week. We'll see you.